This is John chapter 11, beginning in verse 38. It's on the screen for you. Then Jesus, again groaning in Himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of Him who was dead, said to Him, Lord, by this time, there's a stench. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I wanted to have a little bit of fun this morning and lighten it up first before things get a little heavy and intense in the message. So I have ten different animals and their group names. And I'm going to see if you know what they are, and I'm going to give you an example because we already know a lot of these, uh, but not the ones I think I picked out. Uh, like a bunch of kittens, a group of the kittens is called a litter of kittens, right? So, I'll say the animal, and y'all just say it out loud, whatever you think it is, what group or a bunch of them is called, okay? Ready? Alright, let's start off with a weasel. What's a group? What's it called? Anybody know what a bunch of weasels are called? They got two different names. I'll give you the first one. It's a gang, which makes sense. They're ganging up. But there's another one. Anybody know? And it, it describes a weasel really well. It's called a sneak of weasels. Oh, that makes sense. A sneaky bunch of weasels, right? <laughs> a sneak of weasels. How about a, how about a giraffe? They got three different names. I'll give you the easy one. It's a herd. But now you got two more. No, that's geese. A core of giraffe. And what would be an appropriate name for a group of giraffes? Long necks. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a group of long necks. I don't know. <laughs> it's a tower of giraffes. Yeah, here's one I didn't put on there. What do you call a, 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 a group of crows? A murder. A murder. Somebody knew that. How about a group of raven? Anybody know? Ravens. <laughs> Bunch of ravens, no. Unkindness. Unkindness of ravens, yeah. How about an elephant? There's herd and then there's one more. This is a good one, and, and it really surprised me when I learned this. Anybody know what a group? Come on, somebody throw it out there. You didn't forget, did you? It's a memory. A memory of elephants. That's right. Oh, 
I told her these. Um, how about this one? This is this is one of my favorites, y'all. What do you call a bunch of porcupines? Stickers. A what? Stickers. Close. It's actually. Pin. Anybody know? How about this? A prickle. Oh, you got a prickle. I'd say a single one would be a prickle, but the whole group of them is called a prickle. <laughs> Did you know that? How about this? What do you call a bunch of cockroaches? A pain, I know, a problem. <laughs> Anybody know? It's it's really a perfect name for them. No, but that's close. An intrusion. Yeah, they are intruders, aren't they? The intrusion of cockroaches. All right, let's see. Um, how about uh, how about ferrets? This this one's interesting. There's two different names, and they're very similar, just one letter different. Anybody know? Think of what ferrets are all about, and you'll you'll understand. Kinda, but it's uh, another word for that. They're called a, a busyness of ferrets. They're very busy, always scampering around, right? And the other word is business, a business. Sometimes they call it a business of ferrets. Uh, how about rats? There's three different ones for rats. A problem. Yeah, there'd be another intrusion, right? Huh? Not a den. No, that's uh, foxes, I believe. I'll give you one of them. One of them is a horde of rats. Anybody else? A colony of rats? And then the, the one that's, of course, most interesting is a mischief of rats. All right, now my last, one of my favorite ones is the raccoon. What do you call a group of raccoons? Or raccoons, if depends on how you say it. Huh? A bandit? A bandit? Mm, nope, not on the list. A what? Thieves. A what? Thieves. Nope, not a thief. Thieves. No? Anybody else? How about, um, I'll give you the first... Did you say, what did you say? You might have said it, what did you say? Gaze. Yes, gaze is correct. That's one of them. A gaze of raccoons. A nursery of raccoons. Nursery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's minding the nursery type thing? <laughs> That'd be the raccoons, apparently. Uh, sometimes I can understand that. How about a troop of raccoons? That makes sense. Or a brace of raccoons. A smack of raccoons. Or in a church, we have a bunch of these. These meetings. No, not board. What, where was it? I heard it. Committee. A committee of raccoons. Yeah. So, so if you're on a committee, you might be a raccoon. <laughs> um, but uh, how about an alligator? What do you call a bunch of alligators grouped together? <laughs> No, you shouldn't. Nobody should know this. It's the same thing as for a crocodile, though, so be careful. Yeah, but I was in Florida for a long time, and I always talk about alligators. It's funny, but it's not funny at the same time. They're always snapping at each other, you know. No. 
congregation. The congregation. <laughs> Hopefully our congregation isn't like a bunch of alligators or crocodiles, right? <laughs> I tell you, I think it's funny. Um, now, now there's some folks here going to know most of these, but this is the last one, I promise. It's the name for a group of pigs. There's a bunch of those. Bunch of pigs. Anybody got it? Got it? I'll, I'll cross them off as you name them. How about that? Herd. 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 Um, yeah, there's a herd. Yes, those are older pigs are a herd. Okay. There's a bunch of them. You shout it out. You're probably probably on the list. Drove. Yeah, drove is correct. Drove. I'll give you an easy one. A litter of pigs is correct. It's the little bitty ones, you know. Anybody else? Um, let's see. I don't have gang on there. I got something like a gang, but it's not gang. Club. A what? Club. Nope, not a club. Anybody got another one for... Could be swines or hogs too, so those are a fair game on this as well. The gathering? No. No, that would be uh, the buffet in most lunch places. How about a drift of pigs? Anybody heard of that? No. How about a pharaoh of pigs? How about a team of pigs? A parcel of pigs? A mob? A mob, yeah. A pig? How about a sounder of swine? A sounder of swine? Or a passel of hogs? Or a singular of boars. I think that's why AT&T took the name singular away and made it AT&T rather than singular. Um, but those are the ones... The reason I brought the pigs up is because pigs are known for being both smelly and intelligent. And the name of the sermon today is Stench. And, and it's interesting for a pig, they can be both smelly and intelligent. But it doesn't really make sense, does it? Maybe they don't have a strong sense of smell. If you're on a pig farm or near one, guess what? You know it. Yes. There's no question, right? But i got to tell you something. Speaking of smelling intelligent, when I was in college, I used to work for a maintenance department. We did all sorts of stuff. Somewhat of a glorified janitorial position. We welded, we did all this, we tore down things, we uh, deconstructed things, all sorts of tasks. And one time we did a lot of trash collecting and we um, wound up in the foulest smelling trash pit where we put garbage. We had to put the garbage that had fallen out of the bags in the pit into new bags in the pit. Because we couldn't leave the old garbage out of busted bags on the ground, so... I was one of the fortunate or unfortunate few who got to be in this foulest place I've ever been in my life. Um, I'd like to say it was smelly, but that's an understatement. <laughs> smelly would have been 25 feet away from the thing. It's like smelling a dumpster when you're 15 feet away from it. And you're going, no, I'm not putting my garbage in there. I was in there. But it was a pit that was quite large. Um, and after a while, being in there, I got used to the smell. Except for when some new smells that were different than the other stinky smells would come out of something, and then I'd smell those. But the other smells, 
I got used to it. It's kind of funny because the new smells bothered me, but the overall stink, I got used to being in it for a while. It's kind of like living on a farm. The smell of manure and stuff starts to not bother you after a while. Some people even say, hmm, smells like money. You ever heard a chicken farmer? You go by a chicken farm out there and you smell that. The chicken farmers and those who own the chicken places say, that smells like money to me. That doesn't smell bad at all. But uh, it depends on what you associate, right? But and what's funny is um, when I left that trash pit, I had no idea that first day we were going in there. So I just wore regular work clothes. <laughs> regular work clothes, which basically had to be centrifuged and burnt. But I was filthy, covered with this stuff, and nobody wanted to come near me. I was on a college campus, right? I was one of those folks where you got within 15 feet of me, they're going... <clears throat> and running the other way, holding their mouth because I smelled so bad. And, and I didn't smell it anymore, so I'd forgotten until I looked in the mirror what they were responding to. I was comfortable, you know. I didn't know what they were smelling anymore because I couldn't smell it. But I remembered what my first reaction was to the odor coming from the pit was just like theirs was to me. I actually enjoyed... <laughs> yeah, you, you got to understand I was in college. I actually enjoyed walking up to people saying, give me a hug. <laughs> and they're going, not in your life. But isn't it ironic that I got used to that odor and no longer was aware of it? Isn't that how sin works too? It stinks the whole place up. But we get so comfortable in it, we don't even notice it's there after a while. It's true. Now let's consider today's story. If you're familiar with the death and resurrection of Lazarus, that's what that passage comes from. And the story goes in, uh, in John 11, Jesus and the disciples are a short journey away from Bethany where Lazarus is from with Mary and Martha, his sisters. And uh, a messenger comes to Jesus and tells Him that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus tarries. He doesn't hurry to heal Lazarus who is His friend. Short time later, messenger comes back and says, "No bother, he's passed away." And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, "Well, we're just going to go back there and wake him up." And they said, uh, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Just trust me, and then you believe, you'll see the glory of God." Lazarus, and they keep asking him questions. Finally, he says, "Lazarus is dead, but it's for your sake." that He died, that God's glory would be seen. So you could see God's glory. Lazarus died. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, when I read that without knowing what's going to happen, it sounds like the most coldest, callous words Jesus ever spoke. That they died so you could see God's glory. doesn't seem like a pleasant thought at all. When you're hurting or grieving and someone says, well, they died so you could see God better. That, that's callous, isn't it? Well, that's what He tells them. And finally, Jesus gets there four days after Lazarus has died. That means He could have come at any time previous to that, three days, two days, one day before, and healed Him and He wouldn't have died. And His sister runs out to Him and says, if you had been here, He wouldn't have died. 
That's what she tells him. And he says to her the very most, one of the most famous passages in Scripture. I am the resurrection and the life. He who dies, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I know that you are the resurrection and the life and that you will raise him up at the last day. And that's when he asks where they put him. His other sister, Lazarus' other sister comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead now. Grieving, hurting, in pain. And Jesus says, show me where you put him. With a group of mourners, and back then they had a paid group of people who would mourn. And some other friends would come along. The mourners were actually there to help the family grieve. Now, for them, the funeral and the mourning, this is four days after he's been put into the grave. So you understand that their mourning period isn't just a day or two. The mourners are there for a week, longer. This mourning period isn't just a few days. Because it takes a while to get over something like that. It hurts. And so the mourners are there to help someone grieve. They were paid mourners. But also, there were other people. So when Jesus says, show me where you put him, the mourners and Mary and Martha all assume they want to see his graveside. So they go. And that's where we pick up the story. And along the way, of course, Jesus weeps for his friend and for them. And then he says, Take away the stone. Excavating a grave is not something you normally do. Now, now I've got to tell you something. What you hear Jesus doing here and see Jesus doing here, if you miss the process, you miss the point. So it's true with our lives. If we miss the process, we miss the point. Jesus says, take away the stone. He does not say, hey, help me with this stone. He does not say, move stone. He tells them to move the stone. Why doesn't Jesus just do it? Wouldn't that be a miracle to see Him roll the stone away without touching it? Wouldn't it be awesome for if he was doing part of the work? After all, it's his friend. Why wouldn't he do the work and be involved in it? What's wrong with Jesus here? Why is he telling other people to do the work instead of himself or them help him? Doesn't that what Jesus asks us to do is help him in the work? Sure it is. And when he asks us to do the work, is he lifting the weight? No, we are. That's the first thing to notice here is he tells them to take away the stone. Now listen to Martha's response. I love this. This is the key verse. Um, Lord, by this time there is a stench. He's been dead four days. Two things going on in this statement. Number one, a reminder to Jesus how late he is. God, you missed the deadline. It's too late for you to do anything. This is over. There are things in our lives that bring painful 
feelings. And one of those most painful things is the word over. A job. A relationship. You name it. Over can be very, very painful. I remember as a child, one of the songs I used to cry to all the time was, It's Over. Maybe you remember that. An old Roy Orbison song resung by Glenn Campbell. I used to play that over and over again. It's over, it's over. And I would cry and I didn't know what was over, but I knew there was a sadness because something was over. But over seems final, doesn't it? The end. At the end of a movie, it's the end. There is no more. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. The only one who can really say it is finished though and that it's over and done was Jesus on Calvary. Only God knows when something's finally done. When it's finished. And Martha says, it's over. It's four days too late. He is already decaying. And as we know, something fleshly, un preserved, unfrozen, in a matter of hours, begins to decay and smell. So imagine a piece of chicken breast laying on your counter four days. What do you think it's going to smell like? Or an egg broke open. Pretty bad after four days, right? Well, there's another significant thing about four days and the reason four days is significant is because Jewish faith believed that the spirit or the soul stayed around the body for three days. And after the fourth day, it was too late. And that spirit was gone. So this is the fourth day. So they believe, from what their tradition says, that it's been over three days, so it's too late. And he also smells, and he's dead four days. There is no hope in this situation. But Jesus looks at Martha. You know Martha, don't you? Martha, the one who's always busy serving and making meals and wondering why Mary sits at Jesus' feet. You remember that, Martha? The one that's always hustling, bustling, doing, which we need doers, rather than sitting at Jesus' feet and being angry at the one who's sitting and not doing. Well, Martha as a doer, says, Jesus, you didn't do. I imagine you were helping somebody else, talking to someone else about your Heavenly Father, but He's your best friend here on earth, Lazarus, and you ignore Him. What kind of friend is that? What were you doing instead of doing Lazarus? But Jesus had told Martha that if she believed, she would see God's glory. And so He reminds her in this verse, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I want to say that verse to you as Jesus speaking to you. Does Jesus not tell you? Doesn't Jesus remind us all? If you believe in Him, you will see the glory of God. It's a promise. A lot of us take that promise and put it as someday by and by after we're passed away. But Jesus doesn't say a definite time for that. He says, if you believe, you will see. And He means it at the moment belief comes in. 
When you believe, you've seen God's glory. Because belief ushers in a knowledge of God and a confidence in who He is that that is what God is. And who God is becomes real to you at that moment. As soon as you believe, you see it. Martha is walking around in doubt and fear because nothing was done. Jesus is doing something. He says, if you believe, you'll see God's glory. She goes, I believe, but uh, it's too late to believe. Belief time's over. It's time for doing. Four days ago, Jesus. Why did you not do something? I'm upset with you. We hurt. Mary's over here. You loved her too. And, 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 and all this stuff going on and you're not doing anything. Great physician you are. And you want us to roll away the stone and bring embarrassment and let that stench roll out of there. And He keeps saying to her, where is your faith? Did I not tell you if you believe in Me? Not if you believe in what you understand about the world, but if you believe in Me, you will see great things. You will see God's glory. What's she believing in? Man's dead. Spirit's gone. Four days, going to smell bad. There's no hope here. This is what she's believing in. She's put her trust in empirical evidence, scientific fact, rather than what Jesus said, you're going to see the glory of God if you believe. That I am the resurrection. At this point in her life, resurrection for Lazarus is later. Not now. We as believers are promised that resurrection starts the moment we believe. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. We're born again. We're brand new. That all things are new. The old has gone. The new has come. He's putting new wine in our new wineskins. The old wineskin is gone. But we still have the belief that we are who we were. And Jesus says, roll away the stone to you and to me for our lives and let that old person we think is still there. Oh, but God, I'm still like I was before when I went in the grave. And Jesus says, I'm raising you up. You're not the same. We miss this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then you see His glory and the glory of the Father. So they took away the stone. After just one objection. So thank goodness we didn't have a mob seen here. But they, they, more than one, they rolled the stone away. Sounds a little bit like Jesus' resurrection, doesn't it? Somebody rolled the stone away and it wasn't Jesus. They rolled the stone away where the dead man was lying. And Jesus prays to the Father, thanking Him. And then He says, I do this that they may believe that You sent Me to testify to You. I'm doing this not that they would believe in Me for Me alone, but that they would see You. That You did this. That Jesus gave credit where credit was due. And as soon as He says that, He's saying this where people can hear. That's when He yells out, Lazarus, come forth. I love that. (laughs) 
Rolling away the stone is preparation for the new life to come forward. Jesus didn't move the stone. Lazarus couldn't. He was still dead. Somebody had to move things out of the way, the obstacle out of the way, that Lazarus could have a new life. Somebody had to move it out of his way. Do you know the job of the church is to move obstacles out of people's way that are in their way that they can't move themselves and that God is asking us to do is to roll that stone of shame away. Roll that stone of reproach away so that that person can step out from behind in what was burying them. There are a lot of people who are living buried alive right now. Never had new life in Christ. Never believed and never seen the glory of God. They need a stone rolled away. And Jesus is saying to us, let's roll the stone away. But there are some people, do we not think, that if we roll the stone away, they're just going to take advantage of the situation. If we help them, they're just going to take advantage of our kindness. Do we not think that about some people? That all they do is use and use and now we're enabling them. But Jesus doesn't ask us to ask those questions. He says, at the moment when we need to roll the stone away and Jesus has commanded us to roll the stone away, we don't ask why. But we don't go around looking for stones to roll away. We look for Jesus and hear whose life He's rolling the stone away from that we need to roll away. Because we can't tell God, okay, I'm going to go over here and roll this stone away today and you're going to do it. Jesus says, I will tell you whose stone to roll. And you roll that stone. All you do is look at Me. One of the things we get so confused with the faith is, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Who can I help? And Jesus keeps saying, look at Me. Look at Me. No, God, I I need to do some things for Your kingdom so I can show you I'm about Your work. And He keeps saying, no, look at Me. (laughs) Okay, God, I'm looking at You. What do you want Me to do? (laughs) We're Martha's in that regard. And God's just saying, just keep looking. And listen for My voice. And I'll show you. I'll tell you. And then when I tell you, well, when I tell you, I hear God laughing at this. And when I tell you, why are you saying, why should I do that? Why are you asking me to do that, God? I don't want to do that. God, give me something different. All the time we're asking God, show me what you want me to do. Tell me. And He tells us and we go, I, no, I, no. Is there another God up there? I mean, can you get a different something else? Why do we say, show us, and then we don't do it? Why do we seek His face and His presence when we get it? We want a different requirement for it. I don't understand that very well. And I think God says, it's very simple. Draw close to Me and I draw close to you. And I will show you My glory if you believe. (laughs) It's amazing how that grave stone We think when we move it, there's worse behind it. It's going to stink in there. They're stinking up their life, God. If I help them, they're just going to stink it up some more. It will if you're doing it out of God's plan for their life, most likely. A lot of people we work with in recovery, as soon as you help them, they get worse. 
Give them a hundred dollars, they spend it on drugs. Give them a hundred dollars, they make their financial mess worse. Oh, I got a hundred dollars. Hey, look at I didn't plan on this. I'll just spend it. However, part of recovery is accountability. To be faithful with what God's given us. We all need that. But they rolled the stone away. And thank God they did. Because what happens next is probably one of my favorite passages. Because he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it says in verse 44, He who had died, it's on the screen, came out bound, hand and foot, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now, when he came out bound hand and foot, I'm assuming hand and foot bound, he's kind of like, he can't see where he's at. But Jesus tells him to come up, so Lazarus stands up. He can't move his arms and his legs, so he kind of ups that for maybe like this. But he cannot move his hands or his feet very far, and his face is wrapped, and he can't see where he's going, so he stops, pictures of the brain. He stops there. Lazarus is still covered in his death clothes. Let me tell you something. When you come to Jesus Christ or anybody else and you are crucified with Christ, you still got the grave clothes on. And you can't take them off. You need someone to help you. Someone to show you how to walk in the faith. How to unloose the chains that are still wrapped around you and binding your hands to your side. Because you can't feel free because you never lived that way before Christ. In Galatians 5, when it says, For freedom, He set us free. But we don't know freedom until we know the only true freedom there is, which is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is no other freedom. And so, here He is standing there just like we are when we come to Christ. And all we can see is the darkness of the grave clothes and all that we were but we know we're not the same, but we just don't know what's different. And the same is for Lazarus. Now Jesus could have walked up to him and said, Lazarus, let me take that off your head. Let me unwrap your feet and your hands so you can go free. But he didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't do that. You might say, well, well, how callous is that? He set him out of the grave. He raised him up and he won't let him walk around on his own power. What's wrong with Jesus? But Jesus says this, you take His grave clothes off and you show Him that He's free. Um, I don't know how to say this other than this, but how many people around us are still wearing grave clothes and we're telling Jesus you need to get that guy cleaned up so he can be good for you. And He's telling us to take the grave clothes off and tell them they're free. To get the blinders off their eyes. He's telling us to do the work. He's telling us that there is no unredeemable person, even one who's been dead four days, that is hopeless by any other standard. Here's what we're doing. We're either taking off grave clothes or we're putting them on. We're either saying this person can't be redeemed or we're going to help in the process. It's our attitudes and our behavior or 
Are we taking them off to set them free by loving someone regardless because God has placed them in our path? Do you see your task is to set people free? Do you see your task is to remind people that they are free in Jesus Christ? That you're willing to do whatever that is necessary? If we're critical, our congregation is a bunch of alligators rather than a church congregation loving other people. And I mean by that, that a critical as in, you know, you should have done better with your life. What's wrong with you? Can't you do better? Let me tell you something. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is frustrating to me, but it's also frustrating to every person who ever walks this path because we don't understand the process. But I have one of my clients who I helped set up a budget. He's not real good at math. <laughs> never set up a budget before. Never had enough money to need a budget. So we sat down for two hours one day and set up a budget. And he said, alright, I got it. Thank you. I drove away. He calls me 15 minutes later. He says, okay now, what do I do this week again? I said, what do we have written down? He reads it to me and I said, do that. It's okay, thank you. Ten minutes later, calls me back. Alright, now when do I do this? Is this this week or did you say it was next? What day do I do this again? All full of anxiety. And I said, we've written the dates down for you to do those things. Do you see that? He goes, yes. I said, do that. He said, okay, thanks. Hangs up. Think he done calling me? Think he's got the grave clothes off? Think he understands because I've explained it to him. I took... Two hours and two phone calls. That should be enough to get someone straight and narrow, right? How much of an investment are we willing to make? When is it too much? Twelve times a day this man has called me. Monday through Friday and on weekends he leaves messages. And each time he calls me, it's the same question, the same answer. And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to read what was written down. I, I keep forgetting to what was written. Scripture says, if you forget what's written in the Word, you're going to struggle. <laughs> he asked me the same question over and over again based on his fear. And when will I be out of debt? Six weeks. The next day. When will I be out of debt? Five weeks and seven to six days. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was just forgot. Over and over, would you get frustrated? It's like a, trying to teach an adult two-year-old how to tie their shoes and they're not ready yet. And I keep having to tell myself, he doesn't even understand what we're doing. He's just trying to figure out how he's supposed to do what he doesn't understand. Who else is he going to ask? Who? I set it up that he's going to have to ask me because nobody else knows what we talked about. I set myself up for him to call me all the time when he gets nervous because nobody else knows his situation. Listen, God set it up so that we are needed. That nobody else can recall him but someone who understands the work and will of God in someone's life. We set up accountability partners to help us walk this walk to keep us faithful. But we also need to be accountable to God to keep looking at Him and seeing the opportunities to remove grave clothes from people. Each time He calls, I think, okay, one more layer. Maybe that will be enough. 
He asked me addition questions and subtraction questions. He says, I'm pretty good to little numbers, but after it gets over 12, I'm have trouble. <laughs> and I'm not going to teach him math. But do you understand patience is a fruit of the Spirit? I can't generate that. I promise I can't generate it. I can't. I look at my phone when it rings and I go, I know who it is already. He just called ten minutes ago. I already know. I already know. But he's still not free. So how much of an investment are you willing to make in the people around you? Until they're free or until you've had enough to help them? Are you an alligator in a congregation or, or a believer in a congregation? Are you snapping and critical and biting because it's not going the way you want? Not doing quite the things you want it to be and the church not quite the way you want it? Or are you a believer saying, I see God in this place and I'm doing what God wants and I'm going to keep pushing forward, doing whatever I can to help this church go forward and do the kingdom work? That's the question that we ask. We get comfortable in the stench. Those around us got comfortable in their own skin, in their own situation. They don't see it as abnormal. We can see it in everybody else. Just can't see it in ourselves. I've been in so many different situations. You ever seen a bunch of friends talking like maybe six or seven friends and they'll talk about one friend say, they just do this. They just have such a better life. They just get this, right? And then that one friend who they're talking about will talk about a different friend and they'll say, you know this one over here? If they just do this, they get it right. And you're thinking, but if they would just do that one thing, they'd get it right too. But they don't see it in themselves. We all are wearing grave clothes is what Jesus is saying. You, me, we all have the grave clothes on. We need people around us to help us take them off. People say, I can find God in, 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 uh, in the woods. I can find Him on a golf course on, on a lake. You can find God there. But there are no other believers to get your grave clothes off there. To show you what you're not seeing. To get you in community and fellowship and accountability with others, which is a part of faith. Accountability, meeting together, helping one another grow in Jesus Christ, praying together, lifting each other up, meeting the needs of one another. You can't do that by yourself. And God called us to take the grave clothes off of one another. This is our task. When we don't do it, we leave the stink smelling the place up of sin. And darkness. Communion is us coming to Jesus, remembering who it is that rolled away the stone of shame and reproach. It's the reminder of who we once were without Jesus and hopeless, as it says in Ephesians 2.12. And who it is that delivered us from that place. It wasn't us. It was Him. Because when we believed, we saw His glory. We need and still need someone to take our grave clothes off. 
There are layers of them that bind us. Some of us are still bound by fear and anxiety and struggle. Nowhere in the Scripture does this say this is a part of the kingdom of godliness. It doesn't say that fear and a spirit of fear is a part of the kingdom of God. It says He's not giving you that. <laughs> He's giving you a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. This is what God's given us. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is in love and long-suffering and gentleness. All those things. We cannot and could not take our own grave clothes off and we still need someone to help. We're still not 100% obedient and submissive to God. We need people to remind us what to do next. You see, here's what communion says. We are both incapable of raising ourselves from the dead and taking our grave clothes off. And Jesus says that communion, you recognize the one who can, who calls us into fellowship with other believers. And fellowship, we seem to think, means let's have a meal and be happy. <laughs> fellowship is all the things of faith praying for one another, holding each other in good accord, encouraging one another. This is what fellowship is. It's lifting one another up and helping one another to walk this journey when we struggle or when we are the ones helping the one who struggles. We don't do this alone. Communion says, I buy into what Jesus is asking me to do. I buy in that He's raised me from dead works to be unbound, to be free. And here's the problem with freedom. By freedom, we've taken the world's view rather than God's view. When Jesus says, let Him go, the other translations say, set Him free. But freedom means this. Not that you can do what you want, when you want, wherever you want to do it. That you can vote and all this other stuff, although that's what the world would say a free country is. But freedom in Jesus Christ is the ability to be loved and loved in return. To be able to give and be receiving without fear or anxiety involved. A freedom to be who you are as God created you to be as a beautiful child, loved, treasured, and adored. And when you come to communion, you say, I accept your opinion of me, Jesus Christ. Mine doesn't work. I accept the freedom that I am a valuable member of your kingdom for you, designed by you to love you, and through that relationship, serve you by loving others. This is what we say to yes in Jesus. We're taking our own grave clothes off by coming to Jesus and letting others do it. I've got to tell you something, and this is funny, but this is kind of bringing home. I think my wife has a really good husband. <laughs> but I, I think that she has a better husband than what she sees me act like. She's laughing because she knows it's true. If you want to know what kind of friend you are, don't tell someone. Ask. 
Here's a good something you can try out. Just say to your friend or to your spouse or to one of your children or your parents this simple question. Guys, in the back there, I invite you to ask your dad or your mom this question. I think I'm a pretty good kid. I think I'm a great kid. I'm a great person. Is there anything I need to work on? And you want the answer to be no, you're the best kid that could ever be. But your parents will give you an answer you don't want if you don't want the truth. They'll say, well, you know, you've been a little harsh on your brother. Been a little untolerant of your sister. And if I were to ask my wife, is there anything I need to work on in our relationship? I'm expecting her to go, no, honey, you're the best husband that ever lived. But you know what she's going to say? The truth. Do you know why? Because she doesn't want me in the grave clothes of my own denial. And she's going to help me take those off because she loves me. It's not a shameful thing to be set free. Do you understand what ties us up the most is our own opinion of how good we are or how bad we are. And we need people to take that stuff off of us and see us as we really are. So we can be free. And we say yes to Jesus. We say, I agree with that. I agree with you. Yes. That's all it is. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, <laughs> we take a lot of things for granted in this life. But mostly we take You for granted and assume that when we're in relationship with You, we're kind of done with the deal. But You said there's a little more to it than that. That You saved us and redeemed us for freedom to love, to give love, to share, to receive, to be all in fellowship with one another, with all the saints, not just one or two, but all of them, and all those who would be saints to begin working for Your kingdom because, (coughs) Heavenly Father, Your Son told us that right now today, the fields are ripe for harvest. Pray to the Father, to You, O God, to send laborers, laborers, who will go pluck the harvest that's ready, that's ready to be removing grave clothes, if someone would just say something and would do something in response to the relationship with You. Heavenly Father, as we commune today, I ask You would bless us, remind us that Your blessing is upon us and the season of favor is upon us so we would be um, in a time